All right, I'd like to ask you to please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I thank God that in the glorious task of preaching, I've never needed to choose between sermons that make a practical difference in our lives and are highly useful for daily living. On one hand, I've never had to choose between those kinds of sermons and sermons that focus our attention on Jesus Christ and his glory. And the reason we don't need to choose between those two is because knowing Christ is the most practical and life-changing knowledge in all of the world. And here we see the glory of Christ our Savior on display. Our sermon title is Christ our Prophet. Christ our Prophet. And we'll be looking at the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 1. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. May God bless the preaching of his word. It was in the 1930s and 1940s that the English author J.R.R. Tolkien wrote his epic fantasy novel in the Middle Earth. It's The Lord of the Rings. Many of you are probably familiar with it. When it was first published, some critics didn't know what to make of it because this idea of long fantasy novels for adult readers wasn't really a thing at that time. And so in 1961, there was one critic who wrote in the London Observer and predicted that the popularity of these, quote, dull, ill-written, childish books would soon fade into a merciful oblivion. That take has not aged well at all. Um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is estimated to have sold over 150 million copies, which makes it one of the most successful works of literature of all time. What many of those readers, however, don't know is the way that the story beautifully and powerfully reveals the threefold offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. Uh, Tolkien said that he doesn't like allegory, but he also said that his work is filled with Christian imagery and meaning. Uh, Philip Ryken has a delightful little book called The Messiah Comes to Middle Earth, Images of Christ's Threefold Office in The Lord of the Rings. And Philip Ryken, in that book, The Messiah Comes to Middle Earth, explains that all three of the main protagonists or heroes in The Lord of the Rings are Christ figures. And that each one of them 
echoes one of the offices of Christ. Gandalf, the prophet, who, like the prophet Moses and the prophet Elijah, uses his staff to perform signs and wonders. He is a wise man who, who sees the future and speaks truth. Gandalf, the prophet. Frodo, as priest, and Aragorn as king. All three of those characters experience different forms of death and resurrection. All three are saviors who through their self-sacrifice helped to save Middle-earth from the evil Sauron. And so Barry Gordon, he wrote in the 1960s and said, Middle-earth is saved through the priestly self-sacrifice of a hobbit, Frodo, through the wisdom and guidance of Gandalf the wizard, and through the mastery of Aragorn, the heir of kings. Now, you, you may or may not be a fan of the Lord of the Rings. For some of you, I've gone on too long already about the Lord of the Rings. Fair enough. But each of us does need to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the best ways to do that is to understand the offices of Christ as taught in Holy Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, as you are reading your Bible, you will come across uh, the many prophets and priests and kings. Each of those offices had a distinct function that reveals a very particular need in our lives, our need for guidance, our need for righteousness, our need for protection. And each of those offices exists to point to a distinct aspect of the person and work of Christ. Now, the author of Hebrews was writing with a concern regarding our knowledge of Christ, and that is my concern as well. Professor and theologian D.A. Carson says that after decades of teaching, if there's one thing he has learned, it is this. He says that students don't learn everything he teaches them. What they learn is what he's most excited about. And he says, the church needs to be most excited about the gospel. This is how we pass on our heritage. It it does not work to assume the gospel and to make some other issue the thing that really captures your heart. If we make that mistake, the following generation is likely to lose the gospel altogether. And so this morning, God is on the move, recentering Christ in our affections. Not some cause, not some issue, not this or that area of concern. Christ must be the center. The church of Christ exists to treasure and to worship this Christ. We do not need more churches full of Christians who are grumbling their way through life or who are mad at the world. We need more Christians marveling at the glory and goodness of Jesus Christ. And my concern is that for far too many believers, our knowledge of Christ is shallow and superficial. We know enough to be saved, but not enough to be fully satisfied in Him. And this is why we are commanded. This comes as a command to to me and to you. 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To us comes the command to grow in our knowledge of the Savior. I see obedience to that command as one of the great needs of the church in our day. 
obedience to that one command will make all the difference in our lives because it is as we deepen our knowledge of Christ that we experience greater joy in Christ. That our hearts are captivated by Him. That we glorify Him more. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 will put it in terms of looking to Jesus. We must look to this Savior. We must grow in our knowledge of Christ. And one important way that we do this that has been lost in the understanding of so many Christians is to know Christ in His offices. Stephen Wellam says the threefold office of Christ shows us the comprehensive nature of both sin's corruption and Christ's salvation. So, sin has ruined our knowledge of God. We need a prophet. Sin has corrupted the righteousness of our desires and our deeds. We need a priest. And sin has ruined our submission and obedience to the Lord, not only in our lives, but in all the world. We need a king. But praise God, we also see in these offices, not only the complete devastation of sin in our lives, we also see the fullness and the glory of salvation. How? Because in Christ, we have a truthful prophet who deals with our ignorance. In Christ, we have indeed a sacrificial priest to deal with all our sin. And in Christ, we have a powerful king to deal with all our enemies. What Thomas Schreiner says is that we see in the introduction of Hebrews that Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. He is the prophet for God's final word is spoken by him and in him. He is the priest by whom final cleansing of sins is accomplished. He is the king who reigns at God's right hand. This is our Savior. And today, rather than expositing these verses comprehensively, I want us to consider what it means that Christ, the true and better prophet, has come. What does it mean that we have a prophet in the Lord Jesus Christ? The first point to consider is that God is a speaking God. God has spoken, as the text says, is a reminder that God graciously communicates with those he has made. He has made himself plainly known in history. God is there and he is not silent. God has spoken, not just on occasion according to verse 1, but many times and in many ways recorded for us in God's word. He spoke, we are told, by the prophets. So all of the Old Testament prophets from Moses to Malachi, there we have God speaking. God authoritatively making himself known and revealing his will. What was the role of the prophet in the Old Testament, he was not just an agitator and a social reformer. He was a messenger and representative of God. The prophet saw things that others did not see. They represented God to the people of God by speaking the authoritative word of God. The, the prophets in the Old Testament represented God to the people. They represented God with their words and with their entire being, uh, their behavior, 
symbolic acts that they performed. They were sometimes odd. So Jeremiah smashed a clay jar and wore a large yoke at one point. Ezekiel shaved his head and beard. A third he burns. One third he strikes with the sword. One third he scatters to the wind. So keep it weird, Ezekiel. Hosea is called to marry the unfaithful Gomer, the prostitute. In all of these things, God is speaking and God made clear the message that he was speaking. And I wonder, do you know how people responded to the prophets? Oh, thank you, Mr. Prophet, for speaking the truth that we so desperately need was not the response. No, they hated the prophets. The prophets were willing to declare unpopular truths. They went against popular opinions. They said that people needed to change the way they were living. They would have come to someone like Ruth, we heard in her testimony, who claims to follow God as she once did, but was living in the world, that whole condition. The prophet would come and say, this is not right. This must change. The prophets declared a message to believe the truth, to live for God alone to escape the divine judgment that we all deserve for our sins. And so they were rejected. The prophet Jeremiah imprisoned. The prophet Zechariah killed. Which leads to the second point, that we are all truth-denying people. And what I mean is that this is our natural condition. Even though what can be known about God is very plain through the world he has made, through the prophets he has sent, Romans 1 says that we all suppress the truth. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. We live for ourselves and we reject the truth of God. Friends, that is exactly what people are doing in the world today. We have made ourselves God. We say that we determine reality. We live how we want to live. We say that whatever you think is true for you, we have a new tolerance that means that whatever you believe is true and we should never say that anyone else is wrong in their beliefs. And all of it is a denial and rejection of the truth of God. By refusing to believe his word, by refusing to live according to his word, we have all of us denied and rejected the truth and gone our own way. I, I grew up as a, as a pastor's kid, a church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and although I was raised in a faithful, loving, gospel-centered home, as a teenager, I turned my back on that. I was bored with the church. If you would have come to the church, we met in a hotel at one point, and the hotel sort of had tables in front of each, each seat. If you would have come to church there, 1994, 95, during those years, one of the first things you would have noticed was a teenager sitting in the front row with his head down on his arm through the entire service, including through his dad's sermon. Why? Because I was bored with church, I was bored with God, and I wanted others to know it. And so I was rude to everyone in church. And I believed that God didn't really... I would, I would have said that God and I are fine, uh, but I believed in a God who didn't really care about how I live. And 
Those, pe- those years were some of the most difficult years for my parents because I made it my goal to ruin our weekly family nights. Uh, whenever we went on vacations, I have told many people about this, uh, family reunions, vacations, I just stayed in the van. The dead of winter, Christmas holiday, visiting the relatives, I would stay in the van six, seven, eight hours all day, just, just bored. We didn't have any phones back then, just you know, stewing in my teenage angst. Um, I was a fool. I wanted nothing to do with the truth of God. I was running my hell-bound race. I was living for myself. I rejected the truth of God. And where I am today can only be explained by the mercy of God that opened my eyes to see my sin and to see my need for a Savior. And my story is one that should bring hope to parents of wayward teens everywhere because no one saw this coming. No one saw this transformation coming, but God is a God who seeks after foolish sinners and claims them for himself. Our need for a prophet speaks to that condition. It speaks to the ignorance, the folly, the blindness of all humanity. It does not mean that godless people are unintelligent in all things. Many unbelievers are are in fact, brilliant and knowledgeable in many things, far more knowledgeable than I am in many things. What, there's that one game show, uh, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? I will save you the suspense and tell you I am not at all smarter than a fifth grader. The kids know who to go to when they need help with their homework, and it's not dad. They go to their mom. And so you have unbelievers who are uh, quite brilliant in their understanding of many things but when it comes to a knowledge of the things of God when it comes to a knowledge of the most important things in life when it comes to an understanding of the way of salvation and the weight of eternity it's on these points that we are all naturally in darkness and this is why we need a prophet we we need God the God who made us, the God whom we have rebelled against, we need God to take initiative toward us and to open our blind eyes. And this is why God in his great kindness has spoken a final word, a final word at so great a cost to himself. He has spoken a word that is greater than any word he has ever spoken before and has made himself known to all the world. Long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, verse 2. But in these last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us, how? By his son. He spoke first by the prophets and he spoke finally by his son. Which is the third and last point, Christ is the final prophet. And what I mean is this, that the authoritative speaking of God throughout history by which God progressively reveals himself and his plans for the world, that speaking culminates in his son and is complete in his son. A prophet has come. The eternal son of God came into the world to make the father known. He came to reveal the God, the the creator 
of all things came as creature so that a world of truth deniers like you and me would come to know the true and living God. Jesus is the radiance of God. That means that Jesus came to reveal the Father's glory. It's the reason He came and lived. In His birth, He reveals that God loves sinners, that God takes initiative toward us, that God seeks us out and comes after us in our sin. In His life, Jesus revealed the holiness, the justice, the wisdom, the mercy of God. In His teaching ministry, He declares the truth. Even in His dying hour, even as He hung upon the cross, those seven sayings on the cross reveal that it's the prophet speaking, revealing the truth about His identity and His mission. When He said, Father, forgive them, He revealed the heart of God to cleanse sinners, to forgive sinners. However great your sin may be, there is a salvation available for you in Christ. When he said, today you will be with me in paradise, he revealed the mercy of God that gives sinners a hope and a future. A mercy that has plans for us, that reminds us that this fallen world is not all that there is. A paradise is coming for those who believe. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He revealed the justice of a holy God who must punish sin. A holy God who crushed His own Son in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. And when Jesus cried out, it is finished, He declared the victory of God. He declared the triumph of God over Satan and sin and death and hell. God has spoken by His Son. And and here's what we need to understand. If you want to know the truth, the whole world in a sense is searching for what is true. If you want to know what is truth, look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. If you want to know why God created you, if you're living without a sense of purpose in life, look to Jesus. If you want to know if God really loves you and cares for you, if you have been mistreated by many, neglected, abandoned, those who once called you friends, those who were supposed to care for you and protect you, failed to do so. Oh, in Christ, we have one who cares for us. Look to Jesus. The eternal God has spoken and has made himself known in Christ. See, Jesus not only comes and teaches the word of God, Jesus is himself the word of God. The Word became flesh to be the final prophet so that we might have a true and sure knowledge of God. No one has ever seen God, but the Son of God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. We heard in the Scripture reading from John 10, Jesus came and said, I and the Father are one. He came revealing the Father. God has spoken by His Son. Mark Jones says this about what it means that Christ is our prophet. He says, Christ in his office of prophet imparts all true knowledge of God and enables us to receive it. 
This is what Christ does. He imparts all true knowledge of God and he enables us to receive it. If you are a skeptic when it comes to Christianity, one, I'm glad that you're here. I believe God has brought you here. If, if you are a skeptic or if you doubt that we can be sure about spiritual beliefs in general, you might say, how can we really know what God is like? I would say, why not apply your intellect and your reason to the question of the identity of Jesus? Study his life, study his teaching with an open mind. You will discover that it is a reasonable faith. Study with an open mind. Ask God to give you a true knowledge of himself and who he is. If you are a Christian who is inclined to doubts, as many of us are, you are not alone. And I encourage you to remember that Jesus Christ himself is our teacher and prophet. We are not following our own ideas. We are not following our opinions. We are following a person. And because we have placed all of our faith in Christ, the only way for our faith to be misguided and mistaken is for Christ himself to be misguided and mistaken. And it cannot be. I don't have the the faith or the nerve to dismiss and disparage the greatest and most influential prophet and teacher the world has ever known. Christ is a prophet who reveals the truth, who enables us to receive it. He's a prophet who speaks to every circumstance and condition we face. To the wayward who are not following and obeying God's word with your life, He comes and says, my commands are for your good. Build your life on the solid rock of hearing and doing my words, says the Lord. To those who are weak and weary, to those who grieve the many sorrows of life in a fallen world, friends, you will not find a more tender teacher and a more patient prophet. In Isaiah 50 verse 4, It is the voice of the servant prophet who would come. And Jesus himself in Isaiah 54 says, it is the voice of the Lord. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I might know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. This is our Savior. He specializes in sustaining with a word the one who is weary. And so we come to him in all of our weakness and all of our weariness. We come to him when we are desperate for our souls to be fed and he feeds us upon the truth of his word and he comforts our hearts and he gives us hope and he gives us fresh comfort. All of this is a part of the prophetic ministry of Christ in the world and in our lives today. You see, it's not just that Christ was a prophet who taught during his earthly ministry. Christ continues his prophetic ministry today as he teaches us through his word, the scriptures. What does it mean for the church today to embrace Christ as prophet? What does it mean for his people to follow him in his prophetic office? One thing that it means, a major implication for you as a church is that you hold fast to his word. That you are a church that is built upon the truth. It means that the church is a pillar of the truth. 
We will not stand on our own understanding. We will stand upon the word of God. To be a people who look to Christ as prophet means we have a desire to continually be taught by him. We have an appetite for truth. We desire to grow in our knowledge of God and of his word because we want to be increasingly taught by him. So that means we will be found pressing on to grow in our knowledge of the truth. We read our Bibles throughout the week. The word of Christ dwells richly in us as we share his word with each other. We sit under the preaching of God's word with an eagerness to be instructed in Christian doctrine and Christian living. It means that we reach out to others with this truth because we want others to be brought in on the joy of knowing the truth, of experiencing the joy of this great salvation. We are called to be, the church of Christ is called to be a people devoted to the truth. That's what it means to be a people looking to Christ as prophet. There's a preacher who told a story from a few centuries ago of a, uh, there was a uh, blacksmith shop with a large, heavy, well-worn anvil that was sitting there in the blacksmith shop. And one day, a young farm boy who had never left the farm went into town with his dad for the first time. And as he walked into town, he heard that sound, that clang, clang, clang. And he said to his father, what's that? And his dad said, I'll show you. So he took his son to the blacksmith shop where... The boy was mesmerized as he saw a strong man lifting this heavy hammer just crashing down on top of a piece of metal that was on the anvil. And the hammer met the anvil with such force that the boy figured surely the anvil will not last long. And the boy said to the blacksmith, aren't you going to break that thing? Pointing to the, the anvil. And the blacksmith just smiled and said, this anvil is a hundred years old and has worn out many hammers. And the preacher who told that story then said that the point of the story is this, the Bible is an anvil that has worn out a thousand hammers. In every generation, new hammers are raised against the truth of the word of God and the word of God prevails against them all. The hammer of Gnosticism, the hammer of religious syncretism, the hammer of the prosperity gospel, the hammer of man-made philosophies, the hammer of theological liberalism, the hammer of postmodern relativism, critical theory, gender ideology, secularism, and more. All of them raised against the word of God and the Bible is an anvil that has worn out a thousand hammers. When I was ordained over 15 years ago, my wife got me, I have this hanging in my office, it's a huge picture of an anvil with a plaque underneath it that says the Bible is an anvil that has worn out a thousand hammers. And then it says, may your life be spent mining and proclaiming the word of God. So it is with the people of God. May our lives be spent going deeper into a knowledge of the truth. Never drifting from the word of God, but faithful to it. In the past, God spoke in many ways through the prophets. But now, 
Now he has spoken by his Son. Jesus has come into the world, graciously sent by the Father as the best and final word of God. And there is no greater word that can ever come than what God has spoken in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Lord has triumphed over our truth-denying hearts. He has triumphed over every lie and has brought us to a knowledge of the gospel. He has brought us into the joy of knowing Jesus. And we will spend the whole of our Christian lives and all of eternity going deeper into the knowledge of this glorious Savior. We need a prophetic, Gandalf-like word of truth. We need a priestly, Frodo-like self-sacrifice for sinners. We need a kingly, Aragorn-like victor over our enemies. Brothers and sisters, a prophet, priest, and king has come, and Christ has met all our greatest needs. Stephen Wellam says, what a glorious Savior he is. Truly in Christ alone, all our needs are met completely and perfectly. You may have desires in your life presently. You may have even some needs that you're crying out to the Lord, asking Him to meet you. But friends, remember the way that God has met your greatest needs. In Christ alone, all our needs are met completely and perfectly. Wellam continues, our need for truth is found in Him as the final prophet and revelation of God. Our need for a righteous standing before God. How will you have a righteous standing? Sinners as we are, holy as He is. Our need for a righteous standing before God is achieved by Him as our priestly representative, substitute, and new covenant head. And our need to have our rebel hearts subdued, our enemies defeated, and the new creation inaugurated and ultimately consummated is accomplished by him alone as our conquering king. Christ's threefold office brings into focus the glory of his person and his saving work. Oh, friends, what a gracious Savior he is. What a glorious Savior he is. Hasn't the Lord been good to you? Hasn't the Lord been good in opening your blind eyes to see the truth? He has met your need for truth. He has brought you a holiness and a righteous standing before God. He has subdued your rebel heart. He has defeated our enemies. And he has promised that he will make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. What a glorious Savior he is. And may it be that our lives, every one of us, May we together experience the joy of knowing Jesus as our prophet, as our priest, as our king. May we spend our days growing in our knowledge of him and of his goodness to us. And may we trust in him and treasure him and rejoice in him all our days. Let's pray together.